982 in the Blue Bible, if you have it. 982 in the Blue Bible. Philippians 4, we'll read verses 1 through 9. I'll be preaching uh, just a few of these verses, very familiar verses that we read here in verses 4 through 7. Often you'll see these on pictures, cards, plaques, all over the place, these verses of encouragement to us. And tonight I hope that you will be encouraged as we read and uh, speak about these these verses here. But for broader context, let's read verses 1 through 9 of Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Oh God, as we come to this wonderful portion of your word, we ask, Lord, that you would bless us, that your Holy Spirit would give us guidance, that you would lead us, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, and you would help us to implement and apply the things that we learn here this night, all for your glory's sake, in the great name of our Savior. Amen. Well, John of Antioch was the bishop of Constantinople near the end of the 4th century. And he was very well known as being a great preacher during the time, perhaps the most articulate person uh, in this period of time, the most influential preacher of his day. And he was very renowned for his oratory skills, and so much so that after his death, he was renamed John Chrysostom, which means golden mouth. That is the reverence that he had uh, during that particular period of time and, and revered even to this day as we have remaining many of his letters, commentaries, sermons that have been left behind for us. But one of his great quotes that I really like is this. He said, Nothing does so hurt and dim the eye of the soul as the crowd of worldly anxieties and the swarm of desires. And maybe as you sit here tonight, you have a swarm of worldly anxieties that are encompassing you. If you were to make a list of the anxieties in your life right now, what would that list look like? What would that list say? What would it say about you and the struggles that you have? We all have challenges in this world. We all have pressures in life. But what do we do with those pressures when things seem to close in around us and life gets very very dark in life we encounter all sorts of challenges we encompass around about us all sorts of things that are going to be a challenge to us and 
Often we react very wrongly to the things that happen in our lives, to the challenges we face. We turn to the wrong things. We could turn to more work, or more food, or more alcohol, or more, you fill in the blank, sex, drugs, entertainment, on and on and on. Where do you turn when life gets very, very challenging? And we see that there are a lot of people that live at the start of verse 6 in our passage, anxious. And not a lot of people that live at the start of verse 7 in our passage, peaceful, a life of peace. But if we can learn the habits contained between these two, between this anxiety and this peace in our passage, if we can apply these things between these two things, it will make all the difference as we seek to deal with the swarm of anxieties that encompass us in this world and in this life. But the first thing that the Apostle exhorts us to is to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord always. And we must be sitting. If we are encompassed by a swarm of anxieties, we must be thinking, Paul, you've got to be kidding me. How can I rejoice in this world with all of these things that are happening? How can I do that? Life is crumbling around me and I'm supposed to rejoice? And the apostle would say, yes, you are to rejoice. Why? Because rejoicing in the Bible doesn't have anything to do with our circumstances. doesn't have anything to do with what's going on around us and everything to do with what's going on inside of us. But the, our problem is we often view it as happiness, as something circumstantial. That's often the way that we view joy and we tie joy to happiness and circumstances and that's not what the Apostle Paul does. And if he did do that, he would have been a very miserable person indeed, would he not? With all of the things that we've learned in the book of Philippians, all the things we know about the Apostle Paul, if he tied his joy to, to the circumstances, he would be a very miserable person. But we see that that is not the Apostle Paul. We see Paul repeat the importance of joy in the Christian life 16 times within this book, at least 16 times, and we see it twice in this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, Paul doesn't rejoice in the circumstances. No, he rejoices in the presence of Christ with him. The presence, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ is the source of joy for the Apostle Paul. He says to rejoice in the Lord. That is the source of joy that he has. Paul says, and he doesn't mind repeating himself, he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. That's chapter 3 and verse 1. It's safe for you. Now how would joy be safe for us? How is that a safeguard? Well, Matthew Henry says, The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for the pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. That's one of the ways joy becomes a safeguard. We lose our taste for the sin and temptations of this world. Richard Sibbs says, Satan gives Adam an apple and takes away paradise. That's not a very good trade, is it? Gives him an apple and takes away paradise. This is the way sin and temptation encompassed Adam and he gave in to that. And when we succumb to sin and temptation, we lose a lot. And one of those losses in our lives is joy. 
We lose our joy. Richard Sibbs goes on to say, Therefore, in all temptations, let us, not, let us consider not what he offers, but what we will lose. Consider not what we are offered in that temptation, but what you are going to lose by succumbing to that temptation. When we wander from the Lord, we lose our joy. And so that is the first thing that Paul reminds us of here repeatedly in the book. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And the second thing we see here in verse 5 is to be reasonable or to be gentle. It could be translated, and perhaps you have a translation that does uh, Uh, translate this word here reasonable as gentle let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone when we are anxious one of the things that goes away from us in our lives when we are on edge is that gentleness we we start to lose it and the people around us see it and they know it that we are anxious about something because of the way that we are behaving but we should be known as people who are reasonable and people who are gentle to everyone. And that is Paul's injunction here. And we see this word reasonable or gentle in James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and that's the same word here, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And that's similar to the themes that we see here in Philippians chapter 4. And 1 Timothy 3.3 reminds us that elders, elders in the church, need to be people known for their gentleness. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. And so we need to be careful how we walk as elders within the congregation. Others are watching our example, but not only that, the Lord is watching that example. God is watching us. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means two possible things, and probably both things, as Sinclair Ferguson believes. But this Lord is at hand means both that He is now watching us, and one day He will return to us. So God is now watching us, and one day He's going to return to us. The Lord is at hand. He's near to us now, in the present. He is with us, and He's coming again for us in the future. We need to remember that, and we need to remember that when we are struggling, when we are suffering, we need to remember the presence of God, that God is with us in our suffering, and our suffering will not last forever. It's going to have an end point. Our suffering is not forever. We see in Psalm 34:18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's not far away. He's not distant. He's very very near to us. He hasn't forgotten about us in our trials. He's with us through all of those life challenges. The Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious. We could read it that way in this verse here if we were to back up that clause. Um, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. If we move that verse 6, that separation there, back to the the, the Lord is at hand. We can apply that to what went previous. We can also apply it to what's coming. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. God is with us. We don't need to be anxious. If you could imagine walking in this earth in the most terrifying city possible at 2 a.m. in the morning, if we had the Lord Jesus walking with us, we wouldn't be anxious about anything. 
And that is the way we need to view the presence of God. The Lord is at hand. Christ Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We have the very presence of God within us. But we have a problem so often in this world and that problem is identified for us at the beginning of verse 6. This is the problem. Anxiety. Do not be anxious. Anxiety. Now where did that come from in this passage? Why does Paul all of a sudden insert that? Well, it's because anxiety is a joy stealer. It can steal our joy. We're to rejoice in the Lord. We're to be joyful in the Lord. And anxiety can steal our joy. And also, when we are anxious, we're not gentle. We're not reasonable. We can be short and impatient and stressed out and lashing out at other people. And so we see the word anxious translated at least 17 times in the ESV in the New Testament. It can be also be translated as worry or care. And the meaning carries with it the idea of a divided mind. A divided mind. We're going in all kinds of scattered directions. A divided mind. It could be like a multi-headed monster that is just separating and going in all kinds of directions. And when we are anxious, when I'm anxious, I'm sure you agree that that is the feeling that we have. We feel very scattered. We feel uh, stressed out. We have instability. We're going in all directions. It is, as James says, a double-minded man. It is, it is a divided mind that we have when we are anxious. Anxiety is being overly focused and concerned on something. It divides our mind and it takes us off of the focus on the Lord. It takes away our joy in the Lord and it pulls us in all sorts of different directions. Now right here I should pause and just acknowledge that many people suffer from anxiety in a very debilitating way. And I don't want to diminish that feeling if that is you or, or tell you not to go see doctors if you need to see a doctor or those kind of things. But at the same time, neither do I want to diminish the authority of the Word of God and what it says. And I think so often that the things, the prescription that we see coming next here for anxiety in the latter part of verse 6, I think that it is so often left untried by us. And that just makes the anxiety worse in our lives. So yes, there are those of us who suffer from a debilitating sort of anxiety. But that is not all of us. And so many of us can be anxious simply because we are not following God's prescription in what he says here. Now what does he say? Anxiety is the problem. What is the prescription? Verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Not one single thing. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be overly concerned and be in distress about anything. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he? If you were to go to chapter 6 in Matthew, you can read about that at the latter portion of that scriptures there where he talks about the birds of the air and how God provides for even the birds of the air and how much more will he not care for and provide for you as his children, his people? How much more, more will he not give you good things when you ask? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. That is what the Apostle is telling us here. So we see that the solution for anxiety is replacement. 
We are to replace anxiety with prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on Him for He cares for you. We don't just want to stop being anxious. We want to replace that anxious thought, that anxious behavior with something else. We stop being anxious by doing something else. And that something else is prayer. And prayer, it's the first thing we know we should do and it's often the last thing that we do do. We try everything else and then we go to God in prayer. I think so often we need to confess that we have a very low view of prayer. If you were to look at your day or this past week, how much of your time did you give to prayer? How much time did you give to worrying and being anxious? I'm sure there's a great disparity there that we, we often neglect the place of prayer. We talk about things to others. We talk about problems. We complain about a problem. We murmur about something. And quite often, we don't stop to pray about that problem. F.B. Meyer said, the great tragedy of prayer is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. That is the great tragedy. We often, the trap we fall into is not giving those things over to God in prayer. And now, in this list here, we see four different words used here to describe aspects of our prayer lives. Four different things. And just quickly, we'll, we'll just give a review of these. So we see prayer, that's simply just talking to God, acknowledging and submitting to God as sovereign in our lives. We're dependent upon Him. That's what we are saying when we pray, that we are dependent upon God. If we're prayerless, we're self-dependent. So prayer, then supplication. What is that? Well, that has the idea of strong crying or even begging, crying out to God. It's deep emotion that we have in our prayers. So that's supplication. Thanksgiving. Thanking God in the midst of trials for all of His goodness. All of His goodness. And we looked at that last Sunday evening from First Chronicles 16. But we can even thank God for our trials. Why? Because they drive us back to the Lord. They make us dependent upon Him. They drive us back to that place of prayer. And then fourthly, we see here requests. Requests, not demands. Uh, not foot stomping, not temper tantrums, it's requests. It's, it's acknowledging as God is sovereign and He delights to give good things to His children. And so we go to God with our requests and we leave the answer to God, knowing that He is sovereign over all of these things. God wants us to come to Him with our requests. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. He wants us to give our anxiety to Him. He, we are to replace worry with prayer to not be self-reliant, to not trust in ourselves, but to go to God, and to not be cynical about prayer, to not sit back and say, yeah, this guy's up there, he's, he's giving me these different things to, to talk about, but he doesn't know what's going on in my life. I've tried that before and it doesn't work. No, we've often heard that from people, haven't we? Oh, I've tried to pray and it doesn't work. Meanwhile, we live in fear, doubt, self-reliance, grasping for control, going in different directions, being so scattered in our thinking and in our lives. And we try to find answers everywhere else and we don't go to the Lord. Let me encourage you this night to look up and to behold your God. To not diminish the place of prayer. To not diminish the promises and all that God has to offer you in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you. Therefore, 
Don't be anxious about anything and pray about everything. The Lord is at hand. He is with you. There's nothing too big in your life that God cannot solve for you. There is no encumbrance upon you or or life circumstance that God cannot clear the path or clear a way uh, for you to move forward. We need to believe His Word and to take hold of the promises that He offers in the Gospel. A small God is going to lead to big problems in your life. A small God leads to big problems. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Peace. Our anxiety keeps us from God. We focus on ourselves and our problems, and we so often ignore God's remedies, His prescription for our problems. And so prayer with thanksgiving reminds us of how God has taken care of us in the past, and He covenants with us to take care of us in the future. And the fifth major principle that we see here that I want to look at this evening is the promise. The promise. The promise of peace. And the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now there are two types of peace that we could talk about. One, there is peace with God. And the moment you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. Romans 5.1 talks about that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer an enemy of God. You've agreed with God about your sin and you are now in the family of God. You are an inheritor of all of the promises of God. You are no longer at enmity with God. And I hope that that is true of each and every one of you. And if it isn't, let me encourage you to do so because if you have not known this peace with God, then you have every right to be anxious in this world. You have every right to be anxious about so many things. And the second piece we see of is the one spoken of here. It talks about the peace of God. We see that mentioned in verse 7. Now what does that look like? Well, anxiety begins to arise in our lives and then we say to ourselves, in everything by prayer. We don't wait. We want to get on it. We want to stop the way that we are anxiously thinking. We want to stop it and immediately turn it over by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, making our requests made known to God and replacing all of that energy that we spend anxiously thinking and worrying, replacing it all by praying. And the result will be the peace of God. We need to pray more and we need to worry less. And when you come to Christ, you have peace with God. And as you constantly give yourself and your worries to God, you'll have the peace of God. You'll be able to walk in that peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard us from thinking in ways that we shouldn't. And this passage goes on, and we'll look at this next time in verses 8 and 9, to tell us how we should be thinking in a good, sound, biblical way, in a way that honors God, in a way that gives us peace. And this peace doesn't come as, as a result of our prayers being answered the way necessarily that we want them to. And it doesn't come as, as a result of our circumstances being changed. The peace that we experience is not a result of those things. It is a result of God meeting us as we meet with Him on a daily basis, giving all of those things 
over to him. Now verse 6 again begins with anxiety and verse 7 talks of the peace of God and in between there is this aspect of prayer that we need to go to God in prayer continually. It's the kind of prayer that's ongoing. We are to be anxious for nothing and we are to pray about everything. And as we cast all of our cares upon God, He grants us that peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and our mind in Christ Jesus. And isn't that so often where the battleground is? It's in our hearts and it's in our minds. That is where the battleground is. That's where those swarm of anxieties take root and destabilize us. As we think on those things and dwell on those things that make us anxious, we become more and more anxious. Now, I, I heard about a, a study from the University of Wisconsin, and they claim that each person has around 10,000 thoughts per day. 10,000 things that scroll through our minds every day. And I don't know if that's true or not. Whether it's 1,000 or 20,000 or 10,000, I have no idea. But what should matter to us is that all of those thoughts that scroll by, which thoughts do we stop on? What are we dwelling on? What are we spending our time thinking about? What do we stop on? What do you pause and think about when all of those thoughts scroll through your mind? What you stop and think about will have a dramatic impact on how you live your life. 1 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought. And so when those thoughts scroll by, we need to submit those to the obedience of Christ. And those things that make us anxious, we need to, we need to dispel them. We need to do away with those things. The battle in our mind, that's where holding every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is so important. That is where our allegiance lies. It is in our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every single day through the eye gate that we have and through the ear gate that we have, we are bombarded with competing allegiances. Things that want to pull us away. Even those anxious thoughts that want to pull us away. And what I want you to do this week, what I want you to practice this week is to implement the things that we've learned tonight. And when those things scroll by in your mind, when you are tempted to stop and to dwell on those things that are going to make you anxious, I want you to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. As that anxiety rises, I want you to think, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. To give it over by prayer. To immediately turn it over in supplication, thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God and replace all of that energy that you spend worrying, replace that with praying. And the result will be the peace of God. That's what God's Word says. That is the promise inherent within the Word that we read here tonight. Replace worry with prayer and you will have a calm confidence in God. As we focus on God and take our eyes off of ourselves, we will learn to live in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now just in closing, I want to relay a story from G. Campbell Morgan. He was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, the predecessor and mentor of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And one day a widow came to him and she had a question for him. And she said, Dr. Morgan, 
Do you think that God minds if we pray about the little things in our lives? You know, if we bring to Him the small things that, uh, that are in our lives. And G. Campbell Morgan said this, Dear Madam, can you think of anything in your life that is big to God? Can you think of anything in your life that is big to God? You know, we might think in those categories, big things, little things. Can we, can we bring the little things to God? Yes, we can. Can we bring those things that we view as large things to God? Yes, we can. God can just as easily do one thing as another. There is no big or little in God's mind. He can just as easily do one thing as another. It's no easier for God to heal you of a cold or to heal you of cancer. He can do it all. Everything in between. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. And that's exactly what we see our Lord Jesus Christ doing. He prayed earnestly. He gave his supplications to God, crying out with great emotion to God. In the passage we read earlier, we see him thanking God, making his request known to God. And all the while, hell's fury on earth and God's wrath from heaven were being poured out upon him on the cross for you and for me. He was not scattered in mind in the way that he lived. He was singular in purpose, setting his face to Jerusalem, going to the cross. He had a swarm of trials around him, but he was anxious for none of them and victorious over all because he submitted to the will of the Father. And let us do the same and follow the great example of our Lord Jesus and the great example we see here of the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Oh God, we look at your word and sometimes things seem so simple, but they are by no means simplistic. So I pray and ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters that as we, to one degree or another, this uh, anxious thoughts can crowd into our minds and I pray that we would submit them in the way that the Apostle Paul tells us to, by prayer, by going to you, by thinking large thoughts of our God and not diminishing your word in any way or diminishing this prescription that you have here for us to take all of our cares, all of our anxieties to you because you care for us. Help us to do so, Lord, and help us to enlarge our thoughts of you and of your promises and that you would help us by your Holy Spirit's power and strength. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.